I love the fact that like you've given me the opportunity to share my work via this platform and like the, the questions that you've been asking and the thoughts that it sparks like mm. I just I want more of this Welcome to Cyberspace, the official festival podcast of Cyber, Vienna's contemporary immersive virtual art festival. Today, we'll be hearing from Justin the Scientist and his project Black Seeds. First though, I want to introduce you to an individual I met some years ago in my hometown, London, Sipping Tea. Sipping Tea is one part of the ever-evolving curatorial and creative production collective Babes, which has its roots and is still based in Southeast London. The collective prioritizes experiences of queer women, trans folk and non-binary people of colour in all aspects of their work and they provide physical and online platforms for this specific community. Tia, or Sipping Tea, their artist's name, was curating and DJing at an event in London's Somerset House when I first came across them and their collective. Since then, they've been in Vienna because I've also asked them to come along with some of their creators from Babes collective to play at Vienna's Festwochen opening party. That was back in 2019. We've since been in touch and sort of admired each other's collective work from afar and I was really happy when they said yes to being part of my discourse programme, Subverting Online, for Cyber on the 26th of February. More about that in another episode. Sipping Tea is part of Cyber this year with their piece Becoming Someone New or Just Returning to Myself, which premiered at the festival's opening. I wanted to talk to them in a bit more detail about how they're doing, what they're up to right now and their recent relocation to Jamaica. Slight disclaimer, given that Sipping Tea is in Jamaica right now, I wanted to be a perfectionist about the sound, but actually sometimes life just happens. There were some windy moments because they were outside of a music school their partner teaches at, and at times the internet connection was a bit tricky. But we wanted to keep as much of this in as possible as a reflection on the fact that things are not always perfect, and also because right now any escape from our desktop is kind of welcome, especially if you're hearing Jamaican winds and the sound of children. Anyway, I started off by asking them how they even ended up in Jamaica in the first place. I was pretty spontaneous with my, my move to Jamaica. So I came um, in 2000 and... 19 2018 it was like no 2018 because it was in October mm. and it was the first time me coming to Jamaica I was here on a family holiday it was my mum's birthday mm. and completely fell in love I was staying in Ochi mm. and then came back literally two months later for for New Year's and was like this is where it's at mm-hmm. why am I leaving I don't want to go. So then came back to London and then spent seven months in London. Obviously, lockdown, coronavirus, all of that shit popped off. And I was just like, wow, I need to leave. Baker's the place. So let's go. I had two suitcases and most of one of the suitcases was stuff to bring for people in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, Got rid of my flat and just bounced. Wow. Yeah. That's actually crazy. I, I, considering you've been to Jamaica for the first time, two thousand eighteen, yeah. to just relocate is actually a big deal. Like I actually respect that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. That's yeah, it was. You. Yeah. How's it, it been so, that transition, like from from London to to Kingston? I guess yeah. Um, it has been. It's been very interesting. I think I underestimated 
um, the process of moving to another country where I thought, oh, well, it's, you know, I speak English, English is spoken in Jamaica. I've grown up in a Jamaican household. I've grown up very much um, embedded in Jamaican culture. I can't feel, it's not going to be too, too different to like what I have been used to. And I completely underestimated that. <laughs> um, I think that there have been so many, so many obstacles that I just didn't even think I'd come across. Yeah. Like Jamaican is a language. I don't care what anybody says. Like people are always kind of underestimating the power of uh, the Jamaican tongue and if you were not born in this country and haven't been around people who are continually speaking Jamaican around you it's so difficult to um, kind of just assimilate and be understood and understand for the people which has actually been really refreshing and interesting for me yeah. um, and I think just the cultural the the cultural differences um everybody is so bold and upfront with their emotions in the uk i think that we're quite guarded we don't really say what we're feeling we don't express what we're feeling um whereas over here it's part of it it's like you if you're feeling a certain type of way then you're gonna let people know um literally wearing your heart on your sleeve and i think I've learned a lot um, in terms of understanding my own emotions and how I've been so used to um, putting my emotions into very neat containers and also understanding um, that it's not just about what people are saying to you, like body language is so important and body language is read so thoroughly over here. And that's something that I'm just not used to. I think in Europe, I can't say that body language is something that we observe very closely because we right. don't have to. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been very very interesting, like assimilating and trying to find my groove inside of Jamaica. Yeah, I just remember whenever I went back to to Jamaica, like I would always stick out so much from like the speed that I would walk. <laughs> people were like we know you're not from here like you can't even try to pretend like the speed it was just too hot to walk that London speed so it was like okay but your piece is called becoming someone new or just returning to myself um and it's such a great I mean I've visited it on several in several different ways sort of and depending on what, where you're at it speaks to so many different parts of of you and can be so relevant in different ways like whether it's like the avocado slice. I mean, there were so many parts that I read <laughs> like the avocado slicing, the waterfalls, mm -hmm. um, also mm -hmm. even the notes and like the notes you write yourself and the, the messages to future self. I mean, there's so many elements in there that are, are really touching. And it's like this kind of really amazing collage, myriad of like thoughts, reflections. Um, is this something that you've, is this kind of way of working that you've done before or was it only since your, your move to Jamaica that you work like this? This this is all very, very new for me and it's mm -hmm. since coming to Jamaica. Um, I had, I actually studied photography when mm -hmm. many, many, many years ago mm -hmm. um, and put that degree down and didn't really do much with it. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, 
we like I'd created babes as a space but it was much more about platforming other artists so I couldn't say that my creative practice was being um my visual creative practice was really being developed um and I'd ended up focusing on audio and DJing as my main as my main thing and then once I got to Jamaica and I think also just the pandemic has really made me reassess a lot of what my creative output was and also I think for most people just what it is that they're doing at the moment and what it is that they want to be doing um, and it was important for me to just start documenting my new environment I had no intentions of doing anything with that documentation yeah and I think just over time um it also because I myself got quite a bad memory sometimes <laughs> and I find it um I find it really useful when I like kind of consolidate my thoughts so sometimes I find myself writing and find myself like you know making playlists for certain moments but then not finishing them so it's mm. like <laughs> My, my my way of just like putting everything in one place and then yeah. it's like a snapshot of a moment and a feeling yeah um and then I suppose it just I was kind of sharing stuff on Instagram just so that people knew what I was up to because I really did just duck out of London <laughs> I didn't give much context or anything to anybody so I was like let me at least if I've got these little snapshots then people have got a bit of an understanding of where I'm at and what I'm doing so it was more just like a personal project for me yeah and then it's just evolved into more um and something that I think I want to expand on further it's, it means I can include my DJing I can include yeah um my visual kind my visuals and I can include my thoughts in terms of like the notes I've taken it just made sense to yeah. try and build on that so like everything yeah, coming full circle yeah somehow it's like yeah. it's new in a sense of the format but not in a sense of where you've come from and like your your way of working generally like separately all kind of coming together now but that's that's such a beautiful thing actually yeah. um thank you you're also working with lee rose the the poet yes. in this piece and how how did yes. you come across them how did this collaboration sort of come about so lee rose is actually my partner Okay. And mm-hmm. I I met them um I met them in London because they were studying over there years ago and um was aware of like their work but then mm. as um as we've become closer and as I've come to Jamaica I've like I've been experiencing a lot of these things with them mm-hmm. and um because of the work that they do I it, and it being so close to home, it just really falls in line with everything that I'm experiencing. And it's so nice yeah. to also see Jamaica from a queer lens, from somebody right. who has always lived here. Right. Because it's something that I don't think I've ever thought was possible. Yeah. I didn't. I can't say that I know many queer, openly queer people who are out in Jamaica just doing their thing. Right. Um, so I thought that just the way that they articulate themselves and their queerness to their poetry, um, I think is really beautiful. And I wanted to incorporate that into my experience because it's a huge part of 
me and it's a right. huge part of my existence in this space and mm. it's easy for me to kind of go under the radar over here because of my presentation okay. but mm. it's not so simple for other people and also when I am out with my partner it's not very simple so it's um mm. yeah I think it was just important to have that element in it as well that's I mean for me that's really interesting because I every time I've been to Jamaica it'd been either a family event or a little of long distance like family wedding um or actually one time a funeral so like very much family oriented very much still quite conservative like familial circles so I don't have that experience at all either of uh, of the of the queer scene there what are your some of like what are some of your impressions of what you've um sort of noted so far or experienced so far um with that with that perspective now that you've, you've got you're there now um, I think I've really learned a lot I've really learned more about my privilege as well mm. um, coming from a space where can't even like I literally the last business I had was built on visibility and access for queer bodies and it was like we had so many um so much support from so many different areas to to be able to create that space and um it's just meant that in a lot of ways, yes, of course, I've always thought about like safety for queer people, but I've always thought about it from a first world perspective. And even the idea of saying first world is fucked up in its own way, but like it's always it's always come from a certain angle. Mm-hmm. And it's just really made me check what it is to hold space and build space for people when it when you do not have the support of your government, of the wider society, of just like even individuals who they themselves are queer because everybody's just shook. So um, it's made me aware of how community can be built authentically and in a way that is like truly, truly supportive. And it's also really highlighted to me that queer people exist everywhere and against all odds and will do what they need to do in order to be and just live their lives and it's it's like a, a fierceness that I've never encountered before which is so beautiful um and it's just absolutely possible it's absolutely possible to be queer in Jamaica it's absolutely Mm -hmm. possible to be visibly queer and in Jamaica um it's of course like with anywhere you have to make sure that you're aware of your surroundings and make sure that you are looking after yourself as much as possible um and being cautious in you know if you're it's like if you're walking down a certain street you're not going to walk with your phone out in your hand yeah. and you know and your laptop in your hand you're not yeah. going to do that it's just about being aware um so it's just been very interesting striking the balance and understanding my own fears and my own 
preconceptions, misconceptions of it all. But it's just made me realise it's possible and it's happening and people are, be- are living and have been living for, for God knows how long. Yeah. <laughs> like just being themselves. So, um, yeah, it's, no, this it's is very everything. eye-opening. This is, <laughs> no, this is really everything because I think a lot of my my understandings has been also through my family mainly and, and going back and also being younger when I was there as well. So just like also, yeah, this, this, what you say, which is really like, it's somehow going against everything I'd sort of been told or, or, or even experienced there. Like you can be queer, you can be openly queer, you can be visibly queer. Um, and just so much respect for people that are doing that and, and have that on a daily basis and putting that in perspective where, we're still having some struggles in in the UK or in the West, so to speak. And that's actually still very much possible um, in places like Jamaica. And I think Jamaica is also very much notorious for being homophobic, a homophobic country and super weird. So this in itself is already like, okay, like (laughs) people have been doing the work and this is what, this is what to show for it, you know? So I'm really encouraged to hear that. And thank you also for sharing that. Um, How do you actually keep, keep in touch with everyone in the UK, like the Babes Collective, um, a friend's family. Do you actually have a still connection to London? Do you miss it? Yeah, I do. I really do miss London. Um, I think over the festive period, I was I was feeling very homesick. It was the first moment where I was like, rah, I've actually been away for like six months now and I'm starting to, I'm starting to miss um, just like home comforts. But it's, it's, it's weird because, like, the UK is in lockdown. So even if I did want to link up with people, I wouldn't be able yeah, to. Yeah. So it's almost like it's just the same mode of communication I would be using even if I was in the same country as everybody, yeah. which is kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Everyone now it's just... Devil field, yeah. Exactly. So now it's just like contending with time zones, but really, yeah. I'm just so grateful that I'm I am here um, because it's given me the space to be able to reassess what I need and what I want. Um, because if I don't, Jamaica's situation is very different to the UK situation right now in terms of coronavirus. Right, I wanted to all, ask you actually, yeah. Yeah, there's, um, they've been really strict with the way that they um, have handled it from the, from the beginning, nice. which means that right now we're all in a rhythm. So there's been curfews every day since I've been here. There's been, um, like, you get your temperature taken everywhere you go. There are, everywhere you go, you have to make sure you're wearing a mask. Right. And um, it just means that there's everybody knows what's up like the curfews kind of shifted um it started off where it was seven o'clock every day and then on holidays it'd be a curfew at like two o'clock in the afternoon okay and then um now it's been uh less than to 10 o'clock every every evening so it's like yeah everybody's just got their masks on everybody's sanitizing everybody's keeping their distance they're just like, we do not have the infrastructure to deal with an outbreak. So everybody just needs to do what they need to do to make sure that we 
keep numbers low. So it's yeah, it's very different. There's a lot more space and freedom. People are still able to do and go about their daily business. And yeah, I can imagine like timing wise to have been in Jamaica right now. And also how the yeah. non-West is the non-West is dealing with the pandemic and like the fact that actually there's so many other risks in the non-West that people have to mitigate, like poverty, <laughs> violence, mm-hmm. crime, like you know, not to paint a, a, a totally negative picture, but the everyday struggle is so much realer. Um yeah. that, that like the pandemic seems like, oh, we've had we've had similar or we've had natural disasters that <laughs> are worse. Or so it just kind of puts everything into perspective in such a humbling way. Yeah. So con- it's constant. It's so ingrained in us to just keep on moving, keep on moving, keep on moving. Yeah. And when things do come to a standstill, but I'm not when <laughs> when I, when it all first hit, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I think I was in shock. Yeah. I think most of us still are in shock. Yeah. And you've got this this thing in the back of your brain that's just like you need to keep on doing. You're like, but I actually don't know what to do. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop because I really don't know what to do. And I think also um it's really embedded in us in you know, to just figure things out and yeah. to always be and have things figured out. Yeah. And I think it's just fine to not know and it's fine yeah. to say that you don't know and it's fine to be unsure and I think that's something that I'm also just personally battling with is that idea that I don't always have to know what is going to happen and I just need to trust that things will move as they need to move when they need to move yeah um and that's something that the pandemic has really taught me like you don't know it all and you have no idea what's going to happen next there's no stop being rigid actually just try and flow because you have no control (laughs) and all you can do is try and be present (laughs) yeah and that's so liberating as well when you realize to let go of that it's just like such a relief um and funny enough the question I was going to ask you (laughs) is what's what's coming up next but I I didn't actually (laughs) I didn't mean in the sense of like work-wise you know to kind of step away from this like goal-oriented goal-oriented way of working but it's more like what is for you something that you were working on for yourself or like that you're thinking about a lot um in terms of next you know your your Mm. next steps but just steps (laughs) Mm. I think like what you just said about um it being liberating the idea of just letting go of kind of goals and Mm -hmm. um time frames and I think that's what that's what I'm trying to push that's what I want to be next like the idea of um looking deeper into what my own liberation looks like Mm -hmm. and um just trying to the other day I saw something somewhere I think it was talking about um if ever there was a time to let go of age appropriate milestones it's now Mm. and I was just like yo Mm -hmm. this is that's what I that is my next goal (laughs) is to try and deconstruct all of these milestones I have in my head related to my age and related to um, and it's not just work you know personal as well I feel like mm. when you reach a certain age people start talking about marriage and children yeah. and being at a certain place in your career and all of this stuff and it's just like I don't I don't need to be applying those additional pressures I'm already a fucking dark skin mm-hmm. queer 
non-binary person existing in this world and that's enough pressure so let me just lay off of those other additional ones yeah so I think um I think what is next is this like continual interrogation of what my personal liberation looks like and investing time into that um and I think also just investing in um, my creativity and also investing in having more conversations like this. Mm. <laughs> I love the fact that like you've given me the opportunity to share my work via this platform and like the, the questions that you've been asking and the, um, the, the thoughts that it sparks. Like mm. I just, I want more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's what's next. Yeah, slowing down. That's something we should not forget to do from time to time. Thank you so much, Sipping Tea. You can check out their work for the festival on cyva.at, C-A-V-A.at, and find out more about Babes on Instagram at bbzbabes underscore London. I move now from subverting and commentary online to critical thinking on the music business. While black music is the backbone of pretty much every popular music genre today, the billions generated by the industry for almost a century now is made on the backs of black people, often without getting credit for their ideas and contributions to the industry. The British poet and musician living in Vienna, Jason the Scientist, you might also know him from projects such as Scatterbrain or Sketches on Duality, has initiated the Black Seas compilation album an album that is made entirely by black people on every level, from the musicians to the producers, the people doing the mixing and mastering, and even the artwork. It's a fully black project. At Cyber, we got the opportunity to see how such a project can be created. Jason basically allowed us to document parts of the work, took us with him to the studio and introduced us to many of the collaborators on the project. Dalia Ahmed, who co-curated the music programme of Cyber Festival, met up with Jason to ask him about how he came up with the idea for the Black Seeds compilation album. I was inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement that was kicking off and the problems that were happening. And I just thought one of my one of the things that I do and the strength that I have is that I have connections to musicians. And that if, as a unified force, because the whole point of getting together and having thousands in Vienna together is to say we're unified and because we're together, we, you can see us and the world will now see us. And it just sparked this idea of the, the having that sort of solidarity within a musical context, which I haven't seen before. Like you said, yeah, maybe vocalists might get to like, be all put together, but what about the whole community? Because I think some of these people are also invisible not seen so much. For example, the, um, the person who'll be doing mastering, Cohen, is he does his thing on the side, brilliantly, quietly, and can become invisible by those who don't know. And um, I think it's something that can support us to be unified and strong together. And that was kind of the inspiration, like what can we do? How can we switch up this vibe? How can we be visible? How can we let people know, etc.? And I saw music's a vehicle. So let's make it a strong, unified front from beginning to end. Because I know it's doable. You know, I see different people can hold those roles. 
So. And speaking of Unity, like I got to listen a bit of Bob's and Pieces unfinished stuff, right. which is really exciting. Nice. And um, it's it's very cohesive, but at the same time, I already heard so many different sounds. Like some funk was in there, right. some G funk, right. some house, even like yes. the whole broad spectrum of, yeah. of black music, which is all of popular music nowadays. Right. There is right. no genre that isn't black. That's it. That's and this is this is one of the reasons why I didn't want to box it into something like oh, I I tend to rhyme, I tend to do more hip hop. But I didn't want to box it in a hip hop thing because this is way bigger than my personal preference. And I wanted to reference black music and let it be visible outside of its very cliche context, you know, of R&B and hip hop per se, or just reggae, you know, whatever it may be. But I wanted to broaden it and say, okay, some people can, you know, we can get down on the house. We've got our G-Funk, we've got our soul. And the challenge will be to make it a seamless thing together. That that will be a challenge, but I have some ideas and ways of doing so, and 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 I, and I will handpick songs to make it make sense. Not everything necessarily will come, be, will come on just because it's good music doesn't mean it will land on the finished product. And who are like some of the people um, that are going to be on there? Right. Where you think that it's sure? Like yes, yeah, so you um, won't get to tell us all about all of them. Right. So, so many, okay, but... like, like I just said, I won't be able to say necessarily specifically because we haven't selected for the endpoint. But there's artists like um, Ramond uh, from Denver, Colorado, um, Lyric L from London. There will be Io from from here, from Vienna. Also Ola, Felix, uh, Kay Kanayo. Um, there's also Queen from the States. And there's Fagner Welsey, who's currently in Brazil, a keyboarder, um, Cohen Yusha mastering, mixing, and Pauline Marcel is doing artwork. She will be providing the art cover, which we're narrowing down currently. So it's a, there's a good collective of people. I can't forget Sukina, a fantastic spoken word artist, and Native Sons, uh, it's a MC and singer um, duo. And the list goes on. Tyrone Davis, his voice is phenomenal. Oh my gosh, I don't know how I haven't heard of this guy before. His voice is phenomenal. And I've had the pleasure to work with him before. Um, and I really want him on, on, on this album. So there's a song that later on um, today I, I think I'll hear and um, maybe get the, the crew to listen to So of his. So there's, there's a few that I've probably forgotten, but there's, there's, there's a number of people around that are collaborating. Detonate, producer, MC, just finished an album with Rusty Jooks. Um, <clears throat> the list goes on, if I'm honest. Shimbai Masai, um, another MC, and um, King Beats on production. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few more to come. There's some people I haven't uh, named specifically because I haven't got a clear yes yet. Mm. So the ink hasn't dried yet? No, 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 no. I'm, and, I, and, and I'm ready to reload if it does. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there were a few names we know from like the Austrian music scene, especially specifically yeah. the Viennese music scene. Yes. Um, you moved here from England. Um, how did you like get into the music scene here? How do you, would you describe it? How was like... Right, so... Um, I actually came here via Taiwan, so in between England is like Taiwan was a, you know, a middle point. I, Tai was actually one of the first people to put me on to, uh, so for instance, SK Invitational, 
with Stefan Condort. He, were, they were shooting a video in Graz, or is it Linz? In Linz, forgive me. They were shooting a video in Linz. I thought, let me go and shout my man. We, you know, we used to be in the studio together. He used to take me to his studio. He used to give me his beats and all sorts, and always been a big brother in that sense. And I turned up there just to say, what's up? Let me see what you're doing. And he introduced me to Steph. And that was a huge um, entrance point into the music scene because it was very much live music, um, being around musicians who just play and jam. And I started getting into that scene in a strong way. Um, before that, I overlapped with a few musicians and been in a few studios, but that was kind of a tipping point where I really started to get into the scene and be active and move around a lot more and start to play with some phenomenal players that I, in settings that I couldn't have imagined. You know, 16 piece behind me was the kind of thing just coming up. Who, who has that? Six piece horns, like that is a luxury that I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed that. And um, I, I've really enjoyed even sharing stages with some other great artists like uh, Homeboy Sandman and Ty and Aquanaru and others that I just think are dope. Like they deserve to be shining doing what they're doing and I'm here on the stage with them. I think it's great, you know. So th this was kind of my entrance into the music scene. Uh, very much thanks to Ty. Rest in power, my friend. And, um, and Steph, Steph Condor, and other musicians around. There's, there's, there's a lot, but this is kind of central hub. Yeah, I feel like in the best of times, Vienna has like this really great thing of the old meeting the new and people from all around the world coming through um, when they're like touring. Like we, when we, when we're lucky, and when it yes. people are good, people are doing their work. It's like a really magical place in in some ways. Here in particular, yeah. Yes, it's fantastic. It's phenomenal. Um, I didn't know that such a small city. I know it has a good, great legacy. It has history. It's you know people travel from East Asia just to come here to listen to its music and so on, and um, or, other, or many other places in other ways, and. But I didn't know and I hadn't experienced it for myself and actually being in the scene and seeing how it works, you get to see a different take on things. I, if I'm honest with you, I think they're very philosoph philosophical about music here. Um, there's, a, there's a kind of back thought that I hadn't gone through my personal self. I've been around people and we share ideas, but in, 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 in London or in England, my main experience is these trains are moving. You just get in where you fit in. You don't have to overthink too much. The music culture is just surrounding you. It's beating you across your head. It's inside your skin. And I came here and people were like, let's think. Think about what? It's like, but it's very, this, these are very important things. Like people started to tell me about how to approach my artist presentation. You know, it's like, yeah, but I present myself as I am. That's, that's, that's what a real artist does, isn't it? Like, yeah, but think about it a bit more. It's like, ah. There's levels to this. You know, we can't tell the world every detail of a story. You'll, they'll get bored at some point. If you refine it to the main points of the story, you can get it and grab it, especially in this world where everything's throwaway. Like you, you, you hear single after single, not necessarily a whole album type of listening. That's the way of, of today, right? So you need to be visible, recognizable, rememberable. At least know it, even if you don't Even apply, if you apply it, just... Yeah. Be aware. You've heard about it once. Right, you know? So my level of understanding and introspection to things I used to just do instinctively started to come when I arrived here more than anywhere else. 
and about telling stories. Like we're here at Saiva telling a story about the story you're telling with the compilation. Right. Um, how was working on, on this project for you? Because it's like you're in the middle of the project, but you're kind of starting a new project by telling us about the first project. It's <laughs> this mindfuck inception kind of meta thing. Right. How was working on the project for you? It was um, very, uh, it was a lesson for me. I, I'm very confident in the fact that I have people that I connect with in music and there's a mutual respect that goes on. Um, so I thought that the easiest thing for me to do would be to get the music together. And I went after making sure I have a, a really good artist that I like. I've got a graphic designer that I like and finding all of these people in the, um, like, uh, like for instance, finding a masterer slash mixing engineer is not so common as, a, as to find a black mixing engineer. So I had to make sure all of these people agreed, otherwise my project could never be fulfilled. Even if, even if I had the best music in the world, then to say, okay, um, to an artist that's not directly from, 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 from this culture or the diaspora per se, it kind of breaks what I'm creating and I want it to be consistent. So I went and got the scaffold. And as soon as that agreement came and I've got all the scaffolding, I thought the music would come through in a few months. So it was a great lesson to learn that we are often very busy and we work with many people and everyone because we all get in where we fit in. And if I shrink it down to just black, that's when, you, that's when I realized even more how important this was because we're all busy doing projects. You know, my man D was like, yo, I'm, I'm just on my 20th project. I'm sorry, I forgot about your thing. It's coming, trust me. And I said, 20. He said, yeah, 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 but don't worry, it's coming. And, and he's honest. He's a producer, so some joints he's producing. He's an MC for other things he's MCing. Then he's got things that you want to do, like me saying, yo, D, I've got this dope project. And he's like, I'm coming. I'm coming. After Rusty's album, it's coming. It's like, great. And so, so it, it, I had to take time and take a step back and say, let me really make, keep the preciousness of this bring people in slowly and this I've never worked like that as a like you said more of an executive producer or producer direction I've not had to have such a large range of that that thing before so I had huge learning <laughs> it was huge learning for me <laughs> yeah. and I think a very lovely layer of of the whole thing is um kind of how the money that you will make from the um proceeds of the album will then all go to the Schwarze Frauen community. So right. that's even a layer that perfectly fits and is right. so right. So what can you tell me about that community? Right, so the Schwarze Frauen community is um, a community based to support um, children from the African diaspora. So any child from the African diaspora can be present and their parents too. So we have a place that children who could be missed and be like the single black child in a class now becomes one black child amongst 40. <laughs> and it's so fantastic to see. And in front of them are mentors who are maybe healers, maybe um, dancers, maybe scientists, maybe, you know, and they get to see all of these characters in front of them. So it's no longer, like in England, I was told when I was teaching of my value as a black male person. And that was made very clear to me. In this space, you've got 
brilliant black males, brilliant black females, creatives, um, scientists, artists, all sorts, and they're in front of them as professionals, healthy-minded, and they, so it's like, this is the norm now. It's not separate. So this is um, a community I want to support. Um, and I think through this, um, creating this album gives an opportunity to show our strength. You know, and we often say, you know, I would if I could. And now this is an opportunity to, if you support this album, it's directly supporting your community as well. Like, or, or even if you don't directly relate to as your community, the reality is this is not just about black, black, black. It's not. It's about solidarity and it's claiming it in a black space. And it lends itself to help and support and connect to other communities. And that's how it should be seen. Um, and I hope and pray that a lot of good things come to Strauss and Frown community off the back of this album, but in general, because it's a fantastic community. On cyber.at, you can dip into the making of the Black Seas album, watch videos on it, hear snippets, and have Jason guide you through the project and introduce you to his collaborators. And that's it from me today. I'll be back tomorrow where I talk to Martina Menegon, who co-curated the Cyber Virtual Festival, Expanded Realities and Networked Voices, and also about and with her incredible team who built the all visual and virtual spaces in which the festival takes place. See you in the next episode.